Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up... It's a lot of hard work and seven years of dedication to this one cause paying off. We speak with Kesi Sawang, one of only two women elected to PNG's parliament this year. Also... Discuss uh, openly and quite candidly some of the most pressing and urgent uh, development challenges that are facing the Pacific region. Global donor partners are urged to invest directly in Pacific finance facilities and some good news for the CNMI with its tourism industry showing signs of recovery. July 2021 to July 22 numbers are actually very good uh, with almost 800% growth. 142 women contested the recent Papua New Guinea elections and only two won seats in the 118-member House, the first such victories in 10 years. One of the new MPs is Rufina Pita, who becomes the governor of Central Province. The other is Kesi Sawang, who won the Madang Province seat of Rai Coast Open. Speaking on Apache Pacific phone line, Ms Sawang told Don Wiseman, it's been a long and difficult road getting into Parliament. It's a lot of hard work and seven years of dedication to this one cause paying off. There are so many women who have been trying to get into Parliament and you're one of the rare ones who's made it. What tilted the scales in your favour? The first and foremost thing, I think my people have actually voted for me because they want to see a leadership change because uh, my district is one of the least developed districts in Papua New Guinea. What will that mean in terms of change? I notice there's recently been very significant violence along the coast and a number of women and girls have been attacked, some of them dying. Yes, uh, those are ongoing issues. The violence and that's happening in two of the local level governments in my district. This has been going on for more than a decade. And the thing is that the past leaders have just turned a blind eye to that. And one of the biggest setbacks that I have is I have only two policemen in my district headquarters. There are no police stations, there's no rural local, there's no police housing support you know, address those decade-old issues like violence and killings and uh, cult movements. This is one of the things that law and order, and I have it on my election campaign, the things that we were going to immediately address is conflict resolution and uh, these killings. They stem from social-related violence. Why do you think that you did so well, but so many women just really struggle? I think we just uh, need to understand the culture and we need to have some cultural intelligence and, you know, we we need to go back. Like, I'm speaking for a rural district because there are some women who contested in urban district. I'm not talking about that, but for me, it's remaining relevant with my people. Like, I've been with the people, I've been on the ground, I I do water supply projects, I engage in community work, all all this kind of thing that helps me. And the the second thing is that it's just around strategy, focusing all our energy, I mean, as candidates, uh, focusing all our energy and thoughts around, you know, what can I do to improve and what can I do better to get people voting for me. And for me, one of the things included, like, running workshops for uh, men and women and telling them about our constitution called for equal, equal participation of uh, women in, in the political sphere and all these things, you know, slowly adding that into a uh, workshop and then getting people's mindset, you know, settled that 
they can they can vote for a woman. And I must say that in all my campaign, I give example to uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister to say that, you know, I give you the New Zealand uh, statistics as one of the least corrupt countries. I said that's because they have a woman Prime Minister, you know. I, I actually said that in my campaign. Well, good. All the best. I congratulate you, and I hope you have a very fruitful five years. Yeah, I, I hope to. What I want to see is more women coming into PNT Parliament in 2027. And one thing how we can do that is that uh, I must be an effective parliamentarian. and I must be seen to be delivering on my promises of, for uh, example, breaking the slavery of women and girls carrying water. You know, to to give water supply to villages or clean energy. You know, I must deliver. So, in 2027, other women will who contest will be assessed based on a benchmark that I will set. So, like, it, it's really difficult for us women. So we we have to step ahead and think ahead and do something that will lay the foundation for the future ones who will contest. Multilateral and bilateral donors are being urged by Pacific countries to consider investing directly into regional financial facilities instead of global ones that are next to impossible for island nations to access. This was one of many economic and development strategy perspectives presented at the Forum Economic Ministers' Meeting with regional development partners in Vanuatu earlier this month, which was held to call for greater financing and partnership to implement the 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent, Pacific Resilience Facility and other regional economic priorities. The week after the meeting, I spoke about its outcomes with Zarak Khan, the Director of Programs and Initiatives at the Pacific Islands Forum. Thank you very much, uh, Corey. It's such a pleasure to be speaking with you this afternoon uh, from beautiful uh, Pacific Harbour in in, in Fiji. I think one thing I'd like to perhaps uh, start off with is firstly thank the Government of Vanuatu and in particular the Minister for Finance, Honourable Johnny Russo and the Director General for Finance in Vanuatu, uh, Lefler August, in terms of the tremendous support and generous hospitality that they extended uh, to our forum economic ministers from across the Pacific region. Uh, as you know, this was the first forum economic ministers meeting uh, that we've had uh, in country outside of Fiji uh, in about uh, four years. And so it is quite a momentous occasion, particularly because it's the first regional meeting for the forum outside of Fiji uh, since uh, COVID restrictions have uh, started to. Uh, basically come down. And so it was a great opportunity for our finance and economic ministers from across the Pacific to meet with each other. uh, And quite a few of them, obviously, new ministers as well in in new governments uh, to sort of break the ice and discuss uh, openly and quite candidly some of the most pressing and urgent uh, development challenges that are facing the Pacific region. And some of these include, uh, as you you know, uh, the importance of having a sustainable recovery pathway out of COVID-19. Uh, particularly when you, when you look at the fact that the region is facing a tremendous challenge in terms of rising cost of living, uh, supply chain challenges, uh, which are, are global in nature, uh, the geostrategic issues uh, emanating from the Ukraine-Russia conflict and, and other, other issues that are affecting the region, but also the important challenge of uh, climate change and climate change-induced disasters, uh, which have wreaked havoc on our Pacific economies and has risen indebtedness uh, in, in the Pacific region. So the ministers uh, discussed these challenges in depth uh, last week, and they came up with a number of, uh, of decisions and measures uh, aimed at countering or addressing a lot of these problems. 
first and foremost is the development of a blue Pacific economic strategy, uh, which is very closely aligned, complementary, and is meant to enable the implementation of the 2050 strategy uh, for the blue Pacific continent, which was agreed to by our forum leaders uh, in July in, in Fiji. The blue Pacific economic strategy will cover a lot of the issues that I've just mentioned uh, just prior to this in terms of helping our Pacific countries become more resilient, uh, prepare for future pandemics and disasters as and when they arise, uh, and not if, as we know, these disasters will increase in frequency and intensity, unfortunately, and basically ensure that the countries have a means of implementation in terms of the innovative financing and the resourcing uh, that they need to put into action a lot of the regional solutions uh, that were discussed by ministers last week. Um, the last uh, area that I'd perhaps like to flag is the Pacific Resilience Facility, which I'd be happy to talk about a bit more after this. Uh, but the Pacific Resilience Facility is, is very important to our members, and the ministers reaffirmed uh, their commitment uh, to the facility as a source of sustainable financing to build disastrous resilience in the Pacific. Yeah, and I guess like for everyday sort of Pacific citizen, look, looking up at all of this, like we're hearing all the donors, all the partners say that this is a, you know, all of this this stuff, the Blue Pacific strategy, this, it's all really important to have this documentation. If you can just explain why it is important that, that this, this document uh, and these strategies exist. Thanks, Corey. That's I think that's a very important uh, question, and I think it's uh, it's an issue, obviously, that all not just regional organisations or crop agencies in the Pacific, as we like to call ourselves, uh, but also international organisations, UN agencies, ADB, World Bank, and others, uh, they find as a, as a challenge making sure that policies that are agreed to at the international or regional fora uh, are well understood, and uh, and obviously well understood at the national level, and most importantly, mainstreamed into the national development plans. Uh, of our member countries. And that was a key point of discussion at the ministerial meeting last week, is that any regional initiative or endeavor needs to have a national connection or a national impact to ensure that our Pacific people are able to feel the benefits uh, of a lot of these discussions and, and, and decisions happening at the regional and international level. I think a good example and a practical example uh, that I can share with you is in the area of trade, uh, where there were discussions in terms of the increasing cost of living uh, situation in the Pacific region and the fact that you know, goods and services and the prices are increasing because of increasing fuel and other, other commodities across the, across the world. And one of the ways that the ministers felt that we could make a difference is by working very closely with trade ministers to ensure that bureaucratic processes that may exist uh, at the national level in terms of ports, uh, in terms of trade facilitation, the time it takes to clear uh, containers in our wharves, uh, the importance of digitization and automation uh, being integrated and introduced at the national level. I mean, these were concrete ideas that were discussed as part of the supply, supply chain agenda item. And uh, it's noted that the Forum Secretariat has completed a supply chain review of the Pacific region uh, with the support of the uh, government of New Zealand. And there were a number of recommendations under that study, uh, which were discussed by ministers, and one of which was the digitization uh, recommendation, which I've just discussed with you. So that will result in a much more streamlined process in terms of clearing containers, uh, the time it takes to provide approvals uh, to our exporters or importers at, at the national level, and ensuring that for the factors that are within the realm of control of our member states at the national level, uh, they're able to make the difference and make those adjustments. Things we cannot control in terms of fuel prices and, and cost of commodities, that's something that, that uh, is out of our hands, but we can control the policies, the procedures, the regulations, 
and the implementation of a lot of these policies at the national and regional level. Tourist arrivals in the northern Marianas are slowly recovering, with statistics for July showing almost eight times more visitors than the same period last year. Government authorities are attributing the growth to their tourism resumption investment plan, which provides incentives for travellers. So far this fiscal year, over 51,000 visitors have come to the Marianas, compared to over 3,000 visitors over the same period last fiscal year. Joining me from Saipan is RNZ Pacific CNMI correspondent Mark Rabago. Kia ora, Mark. Tell us more about these latest figures. So the CNMI um, slowly recovering from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic that essentially shut down its tourism industry. Uh, July 2021 to July 22 numbers are actually very good, uh, with almost 800% um, growth in tourism numbers. So 2021, there were only like 1,197 visitors um, in July. But in the same month this year, we, it went up to almost 10,400. So that's a very good number. And so far this fiscal year, um, there have been almost 52,000 visitors that have come to the CNMI compared to a little over 2,700 last year. Um, this is attributed to uh, the implementation of the Tourism Resumption Investment Plan by the Marianas Visitors Authority. It's kind of a program where you incentivize tourists coming to the CNMI by giving them uh, vouchers and uh, discounted tickets. Uh, I think they had like $500 as vouchers that could spend anywhere in the CNMI. So it was really heavily incentivized. and. Part of the money that that was used there was from the ARPA money that came from the U.S. from the federal from federal resources. So, yeah, it helped us quite a bit. And and how does this compare to to pre-COVID numbers? Uh, Pre-COVID numbers actually, um, what we we're getting right now is ten thousand three hundred sixty-seven. But before the COVID nineteen pandemic, we actually were getting like thirty thousand per month. So it's only a third of what we used to get. So it's still far from what we usually get pre-pandemic. And uh, the overall uh, goal is to get that back. And uh, September is the start of uh, the Japan trip program. So we hope to, um, to get those numbers by welcoming back the Japanese market. And, and how many, um, just, talking about like, just talking about like what airlines and that are servicing the route, like is are all airlines that used to like pre-COVID flew into CNMI doing it, or is that also reflected in terms of the traffic, less less airlines, I guess is my question. There's still not a lot of airlines coming in. Uh, United Airlines is the one coming in from Japan, and um, Asian Airlines is the one, Jeju Airlines are the ones coming from Korea. So we don't have a full complement of, uh, uh, of the previous carriers that used to fly to, to, to the CNMI because they're still struggling to to revive the operations because of COVID, because COVID, or there's still COVID. So, yeah, we still don't have uh, the airlines we used to have. Uh, yeah, and, and are they, um, your your traditional tourism markets, are, are they all um, are, are they all back online? Well, Korea is back online uh, since last year. Japan is coming online uh, starting next week. Uh, it's the biggest, the biggest uh, market we previously had before COVID-19 struck. There's a Chinese market, which we haven't gotten it back yet because the China government hasn't allowed its citizens to travel. Um, yeah, so that's been a big downer because 
everybody knows the China market is really big. And and I guess just re- remind us what the COVID protocols are for visitors. Well, I think you just have to have um, been fully vaccinated and you just have to have your vaccine card because the, the United States lifted all restrictions a couple of months back. So it's easier to travel. The only problem is Japan. I think they're having their seventh wave right now. So they're, the travelers are very cautious of coming here. So let's see what happens with this uh, Japan trip program that's coming in starting September 1. And, and finally, just on your own own COVID situation as well, have things sort of plateaued? Are they still on the rise in terms of your own um, outbreak? Um, this majority of the population is already vaccinated. It's not much of a worry. The ones that are worried are the ones with compromised immune systems uh, have some health problems. Uh, yeah, we can say that it's plateaued. Uh, we're still in the medium level and we're managing. And uh, uh, once sure sign that it's okay, it's, we're welcoming tourists back. Thank you, Tomas, for sitting down with Timmy Fala. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Looking you, Fala, next time more.